By the way, thank you, Moon. Uh, sometimes we are used to kind of uh, worship services that are very ordered and following a certain pattern, and those are very important. Um, but the Spirit of God gets to decide just how He wants to prompt us. And so we do our plans, and we also kind of focus on what we are needing for our whole lives. But God knows how to interject. God knows how to meet us. And so uh, we, want, we want to have that sense of order and, and planning, but also a sense of spontaneity and freedom. Um, and so please, uh, I hope you're, you're, you're okay with that. That's uh, what life is really is uh, often about. Um, but today, the, the, the message that was planned for today is really having to do with work. Um, work, which is such a, a big part of our lives. New Yorkers work, um, on average, more than any other city. Um, even this place like San Francisco, we got all these entrepreneurs and all these uh, new companies, and they're, they're pouring in their energy, uh, and so on and so forth. New Yorkers work more, 49, uh, over 49 hours a week uh, on average. That means people are working a lot more, uh, as well as those to, 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 to cover over those who are not working a little less. Work is such a huge part of our lives. It takes up a huge chunk of our energy, of our time, uh, our angst, as also our dreams and our joys. That uh, as much as we say family is so important, most people spend more time with work than they do with families. You gotta, honestly, they spend more time at work than we do with our friends. And this is one of the places that I find also is the hardest to experience God in. Especially in a city like New York where the pace is so hot and heavy, the expectations are so high that, in fact, work becomes a place where it's extremely difficult to, to talk to God about, to experience Him with. It's a, it's a form of segregation where when we're at work, we're a different person and we're, we're doing our thing. We're caught up in different circumstances and, and then once we get the freedom to step out of work, then we can try to listen for God, reflect in our lives and so on and so forth. For some, work is such a, it's a joy. And um, I, would, I would love to say that there's a lot of people who have this. I've met some people who actually love what they're doing. I mean, they just, they, they can't talk enough about how incredibly thankful they are that they, they, they're doing what they were meant to do. But we live in a world where this is not just far and few between, but in fact, even for those who are in the very place they know they're supposed to be, it's exhausting. It takes everything out of you. Um, I find it interesting that an old Greek um, myth about Sisyphus, uh, it actually describes a lot of people's experience of what work is like. The drudgery, the sense of frustrations, the sense of I put all of my heart into it and it doesn't go anywhere. And the story of Sisyphus, this guy, uh, he's kind of uh, mischievous and he plays around with the gods and his curse for eternity is to work and work and work, to push this rock up a hill by himself, to put all of his ingenuity, his energy, and to get this rock up right up to the top where he feels like he's done. But at the last second, that rock falls to the ground. He has to start again. And that is his life in perpetuity, in eternity, this experience of work that does not get you anywhere, absolute frustration. In the scriptures, we find that this is actually uh, very reflective of the fall. Adam in the garden, he was meant for, for productivity. He was meant for, for, for fruitfulness. You get a sense that everything he touched came to life. All the animals worked in harmony with him, and there was a sense of incredible organic joy. Adam loved what he was doing. He was meant for it. But then after his sin, his rebellion against God, 
what used to work so well, he would just put a little energy into, he would put his, pour his heart into, and green would come back. There would be responsiveness. Instead, because of the fall, because of sin, thorns and thistles. And so this is the experience of a lot of us. Um, my, you know, I have a hard time talking about work sometimes because people look at me like, you're a pastor. What kind of work do you do? All you do is you know, one hour a week when you're in church, right? That's, that's, the, that's the going understanding. Um, and pastor work is so different. It's hard to talk about work because every work is different. The work of a doc- doctor and a lawyer or a business person, entrepreneur, a work of a homemaker. Every work is so different. But I've experienced a little of what the drudgery of work is like. My parents owned a dry cleaner for 10 years. They were there 16 hours a day just in the steam. And, you know, it's, it's not a lot of redeeming work. Yes, you get dirty clothes and you make them clean, right? Yes, some people are very happy with you, but there's a lot of people who complain. It's not a lot of redeeming work, but it was something just to endure. And every time I was, uh, even coming home from college, that's what I would be doing 16 hours a day. Um, and so work for us was, what can we do so that we don't have to suffer the drudgery? How can we position ourselves so that work becomes meaningful, becomes easier, becomes fruitful? Well, the next job I had was I was a scientist for about four years at the University of Washington. And it was a different kind of drudgery, different kind of 10 to 16 hours a day sometimes. It felt like in a laboratory where you don't talk to anybody. You don't even see the sunlight. You're just stuck. And, and just doing this obscure work, pretty much. Um, I actually went online and checked to see if my papers that was published are still up, and a few of them are there, and I forgot everything. I just forgot everything that I did, just four years of work, and I felt like it just kind of went down the drain. I know what the drudgery feels like and how difficult it is. I got a taste of it. How hard it is to connect God with what you're doing. Now, I was always told, in your work, obviously, you got to put your integrity into it. You're supposed to shine um, what it looks like to be a Christian. You're supposed to be in your speaking and in your, and, your, and your ways being truthful and being honest and being good and being right, right? That's important. Ethics is a big part of what work is about. And the idea was, if you're really a good person, not only God will be pleased, but then you can do what the real kind of... Uh, expectations as a Christian of what work was supposed to be, then you can do evangelism. Then you can actually share Christ. Ethics and evangelism took up most of what uh, I understood what work was to be. But uh, as I've been growing, not only as a pastor, but also as been reflecting and talking with people and, and understanding work actually is such a gift from God. It is such a big part of our lives. There is more to experiencing God, inviting and being in partnership with God in our work than simply just doing what's right and sharing Christ, okay? There's more involved. It's, not, it's more involved than simply just doing good work and excellence and being proud of your work. There are heart issues involved. There are actually um, relationship aspects to what we, how we can respond to work that changes how we work, and it changes not only the quality of our work, but changes the direction of it. And, and we are in our sixth uh, sermon in the, in the eight sermon series in the gospel and life, reflecting on what would it look like, in fact, to work out of a sense of the gospel that we were saved by grace. God just loved us. We were not perfect. We could never be perfect. But he, he wanted to bring something huge in our lives. He's going to bring the kingdom. And our very work, whether it's paid work or unpaid work, work out the marketplace or work at home, work with tasks or with people, all of this fits into his kingdom. How do we experience that? How do we plug in to that? 
the verses that are, were read this morning actually were spoken to people who felt the drudgery of work, the meaninglessness, didn't know how to connect this with their new relationship in Christ. And so uh, the, the Apostle Paul tells them, uh, and he's speaking to this actually, quote-unquote, slaves, were more sure like indentured servants back then. He's saying, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Whatever your work is, whatever you ask to do, whatever you expected to do, all the outflowing of the energy that you spend in, out of head, heart, and hands. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a result, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Growing up, I heard this, these sermons a lot, and maybe you have as well. And whenever they preach this message, I would always hear, it's the part of work at it with all your heart. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, they would, I would hear these messages of saying, this is the important part of work, that you work hard. I received a, a good sense of work ethic from my parents. They worked really hard all of their lives, and as, as a, a lot of immigrant uh, uh, parents have. And sometimes the, the sense of what it means to, to work uh, with God and for God, actually, is you get a sense that all he cares about is, is your effort level, is how hard you are working. Maybe it's because that's, that's what we experience at home. Um, I always laugh because um, uh, I'm an I'm a Asian dad, and I had an Asian dad, and sometimes uh, my, my, my kids, they think that I'm an, I feel like an Asian dad. I, I, I share with them these Asian memes to tell them I'm as, not as bad as that. Um, but my, my daughter always laughs when I, when I share these things. But yeah, have you ever seen these before? Okay. okay I, I feel like I've seen this guy. I know this guy. Yeah. Um, but there's a bunch of these online, and they, they, they try to point out, like, the, the mentality of the expectations living, growing up in an Asian home, of the effort level and the expectations, right? And uh, this, is, this, is, this is Ellie's favorite. Asian without A's is sin. That's how it spells, right? Take it out. Take the Asians out. It's S-I-N, sin, right? Um, it's just a few of them. You got 100%, you can do better, right? Yes. You allergic to bees? Good. <laughs> so it's not just maximum effort, but it's expectations on what kind of work is valuable. What kind of work is something that's great, right? Yeah? It's like, you can be anything you want, doctor or engineer, <laughs> right? So the son comes to the dad and says, Dad, I want to be an actor. And then the dad answers, son, it's pronounced doctor. <laughs> right? Right. So there's, 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 there's tons of these. We can go do this for the 30 minutes long. Um, but they strike a chord because only certain kinds of work is deemed valuable, okay, uh, in a normal Asian home. If you're in a Christian Asian home, uh, you add on pastor or missionary because that kind of work is valuable to God. But I've rarely ever heard that you can be doing something in the home, caring for a child, raising up a child. You can be doing something that the world counts as valueless, sanitation, right? Just plugging numbers and data entry. And that that, in fact, can be a place where you can not only honor God, experience God, but be part of a kingdom-making that every aspect of our work can be part of the big picture, being partnering with God to do something grand, that our work is valuable. God cares about our work, that every profession can be a place which we can experience God and we can actually bring and, and seek a kingdom in. 
Well, one of the reasons why these are funny is because we get the sense of what a master is like, right? A master, somebody who's telling what you do, giving you high expectations, and high level of product, productivity is demanded. And so when we read that passage about you're not working for your human masters, you're working for the Lord, sometimes it feels like it's even harder, right? Because for the Lord, with a human master, they're not always on you. You can kind of slide by, but not with, uh, with God. God's always watching, isn't he? He's always there. And if you think of God as a master who's a slave driver, who's expecting maximum effort from you all the time and has only these, these very slim ideas of what's valuable and what's not, and everybody else is just a slave, then our understanding of this passage kind of goes tilted. But this passage actually is beautiful because it says the, the, the pivot point, the important point of this is, if in fact you realize who your master is, if in fact you begin to work out of your relationship with God, that he loves you, he has a plan for you, he's involved in your work, your work matters to him, and all of that effort going into that work actually it God will use for his kingdom, that changes a lot. I've had some tough bosses to have to work for. And, if I, and I, I can tell you, as hard as I worked, I never found that it, that, that, that it was enough. I've never found that working for a human master, whether it's my boss, whether it's my parents' expectations, whether it's my own expectations for success, it never satisfied. It never provided a, a hope and energy. It never provided motivation. It never provided meaning to a point where, um, uh, like, what it means, what it, what, it, what it feels like when you experience God as your master in your work. Well, I bring up the slide because there's this TV show called Undercover Boss. And what they do is they get these CEOs, okay, who uh, they've got maybe a, sometimes a small company, a large company, and they get them to go and they work in the kind of like the nitty-gritty like the, the docking bay or the point of sale place you know, where, they're, where, they're, where, they're, where they're selling their, their product. Or they, get, they get them and they go in as undercover. So you don't expect that this is actually the CEO of the company. And sometimes it's kind of funny because the people, they're just, they don't know that their boss is right next to them. Not just their boss, but their boss's 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 boss. And so they act normally and the boss gets to see what really is happening on the ground. If you can imagine that your boss, your boss's boss's boss, your master, the creator of the universe actually, is actually there with you in your work. And he's not there to make you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to show I'm working hard. I have to show I'm a valuable employee. I have to show. But he's there because he's involved in your work. He's paying attention to what you do. You are important. This incredibly loving God, who pours all this worth into us, irrespective of our worth, of our work. We never have to earn standing with God because, guess what? He just loves us already. And so all the work that we get to do in the presence of this undercover boss is not to show that we're worthy. In fact, can you imagine if your boss just likes you and has a plan for you, and guess what? He's training you. You have all this energy and hope. It changes how you work. And our Christian understanding of work actually should flow out of this gospel understanding that our work doesn't establish us. Our work doesn't make us. Our work doesn't provide for us. God does. He's the one who is responsible. And in all of our work, as we work with him, okay, not just for him, as we work with him, um, there is a, there's incredible joy and meaning that comes from it. 
there is this lady named Dorothy Sayers, and she's, as you can tell from the picture, black and white. She's, um, you know, World War I, World War II context. Um, she was an amazing writer. She was connected with, you know, C.S. Lewis and uh, also with um, J.R. Tolkien and the Inklings. But she wrote this little, this little small essay on why work? Uh, because she was experiencing and seeing that people's perspectives, even in the church and a Christian understanding of work, was really getting diluted. That people were working for a livelihood. People were working just to, you know, forward their, 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 their lives and their families and so on and so forth. And realizing how, how cut off it was. And so this was, this was one of the ways that she tried to, to isolate why should we work and what is a Christian understanding of work. She says, a Christian understanding of work is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live. Right? You work so that you can provide food, you can provide shelter, work that you can go, and if you work well, so go on a vacation, have family time, buy the things that you need. Right? But in fact, work is the thing one does, something one lives to do. That work is a gift. Work is the, the calling that you've been given. You are alive so that you get to work. You are alive because you have purpose. You are alive because God has, a, has, has, a, has a, not just a job, a mission critical for us to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties. It's saying, in your work, you get to explore and find out and express all of the giftings God has given you. You get to express who you are, your relationship with him even. Something of God comes out in your work, and you get to express it. It is the medium, okay, the setting, the route by which he or she offers himself or herself to God. This is actually interesting language. This is worship language. Saying, as you work, your work is the very place that God gets to see your heart for him, your love for him. Whether you're looking to please him, whether you believe in him, and you believe in his cause, whether you're actually investing in faith uh, to him. A simple way to put it is work is worship. Work is worship. The quality of your work done unto God because you love him, because you believe him, because you trust him, because you know that he loves you and he wants, he cares about your work. That is probably a clearer picture of our worship than what we do on Sunday mornings. Work is the medium by which we offer our hearts to God and our relationship to God, but it's also the way that, another way to put it is, that's how we love God. Our work shows our love for God, sometimes in clear, clear ways, and also shows our love for people. It is the way we get to express it. Can you imagine, um, some of us are like this, oh, I wish I didn't have to work at all, okay? Everybody has this dream, I won the lottery, I don't have to work, woohoo! Can you imagine uh, what life would be like. Maybe for the first month, you can eat what you want to eat, you can go where you want to go, you can buy what you want to buy, but actually it becomes exhausting. People who have leisure, their souls begin to just kind of die out. They, have to, they look for like, I want to do something meaningful. I want to do something that matters. Work is a gift. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason is we, we see work as a curse because it's something that we feel like we have to do. Something that, that uh, honestly, especially in New York, it's, it's exhausting. People are exhausting. The tasks and expectations are crazy. But God gives us a chance and, a, and, a, and a, a rhythm and a route of working where our work more and more gets to be an expression 
of our love for God and has, gets to become an overflow of our love for people. Most of us work so we can rest. But if you look at the way God planned work to be, work was to come out of rest. God worked for six days. He made the heavens and he made the, 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 the waters and he separated the waters from the earth. And then he filled them in abundance, tons of stars, birds in the sky, land uh, animals that crawl and fish in the sea. He did an incredible work of creation, finishing it with, 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 with humanity, with male, male and female at the end. Six days of work, and then he rested on the seventh day. But if you think about it, what was the first day that humanity experienced? What was the first full day that they got to live out their purpose? It was the day of rest. They were born to enter into relationship and to rest with God. That's what they had, this incredible communion where they knew who they were. They didn't have to make food. There was a garden. They didn't have to create things in their own shelter. They had the presence of God with them. And from there, the eighth day was a day of work. Now, all of their giftings, all of their teamwork can be expressed into the world. They can join in God's work. That's the order. We work out of our rest. Unfortunately, even on the days that we don't work, we don't rest. Okay? This is the worst enemy of all. Okay? Between all of the, the emails that you, you keep... Sorry, Siri. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I want rest, right? Um, all of the work that we end up doing, that we, we are tethered to, to all, of these, these th- all of these constant reminders that are, our minds and our hearts don't find rest. What do we do? We try to, you know, sit there and vegetate in front of a show if we were half, halfway watching. That doesn't restore us. And so one of the key aspects of what it means to work and make our work meaningful with God is, is the, it's the interesting part. We have to learn how to rest. We have to find this place of, I know who I am in God. I know he loves me. No matter what's happening in my work, no matter how people are angry at me or how I failed in all these expectations or I don't have a place of work to, to say that I'm somebody, guess what? I am somebody. I know who I am in God. I'm restored in this constant reminder that I am not God and I am loved. And all of my work can be done with and for God. Sabbath is an intentional rest. And if you have a mind that's constantly thinking, you can't just sit there and veg. Your mind will keep thinking. You need a, a, a ritual. You need a discipline. You need a practice that take you out of this constant rat race so you can realize who you're in relationship with. And that's what Sundays are supposed to be for us, a chance to worship, to be reminded God's in control, that all this heaviness that's there because of work, because of other kinds of things, God sees, God knows, God cares, and we can find rest in him. We can call him into both the joy and the privilege of our work and the curse and the frustration of our work. How we work and rest speaks into who is our, our very identity as well as who is our Lord, who is our master. Work has everything to do with identity and worship. And if it has everything to do with worship, then it means that also when it's tilted, it, it, it has something to do with idolatry. Idolatry is where 
the, the one who should be guiding you and, and, and who you should be loving above all others, which is God, has been displaced. And now something else is in that spot. Something else that you work for. Something else that you trust. Something else that's going to give you what you want. Once that's happened, your heart actually is in, in, a, in an idolatrous zone. And it's actually the, it's in the place of work that we find it's, it's, it's uh, such a key aspect of our identity and our idolatry. Tim Keller puts it this way. When you make your work your identity, okay, that you're somebody, you're valuable, okay, better than another person because of what you do, what you're able to do, okay, what, what your work gives you, the money and the status, when that becomes you, and this is really hard because that's what we always find out. That's what we ask. So what do you do? I am a pastor. I am a doctor. I am. We speak identity language by what we do. And in fact, when you're in a new surrounding, you kind of judge and get a sense of each other by what you do. Oh, you're a lawyer. Oh, you're a teacher. Oh, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm in between. Like, oh, you're in between jobs. Okay, right? Um, we, we are so easily slipping into work as our identity. But this is the danger. When we make our work our identity, when we don't work out of our rest, this is what happens. We are in, we slip into zones that, that bring a lot of destruction. Because let's say you make your work your identity and you're good at what you do. You're in finance and you're making money uh, head over heels, okay? If you're successful, it begins to destroy you because it goes to your head. You think you did it. And all the people who are not satisfying that or giving you enough credit, you step on or you disregard, okay? It destroys relationships. It destroys your relationship with God and your soul. Yeah. Your very work was your undoing. Your very success actually destroyed you. On the other hand, if you're not successful, it destroys you as well because it goes to your heart. It destroys your self-worth. Anybody who has put your heart and soul into something and you experience profound failure, you go bankrupt, or you make a huge mistake, or you, you put all your eggs in this basket and it didn't work out. It's not simply, okay, I'll just try tomorrow. Yeah, you slip into depression. You don't feel like you're valuable at all. Um, that's a good sign that, in fact, your identity was not rested in God. It was in your work. This is the beauty of the gospel. When it takes root in us and when it soaks us and when we, our work comes out of our identity in Christ as one who's loved, forever loved, and dignifying our work, this is what happens. Faith in Christ gives us an identity that is not in our work or in our accomplishment. And that gives us insulation against the weather changes. When things are good and when it's sunny like it was yesterday and things are a little colder and rainy like it is today, guess what? Our identity, our restedness in Christ, it gives us insulation. So that when you're successful, you stay humble. And if you're not successful, you feel like you're sinking into the depths of the sea, you have some ballast. That's the word described, like a balloon of air that's, that's pulling you up. Work is a great thing when it's a servant instead of a Lord. But when work becomes a Lord, then it actually masters you. It owns you in such a way where you cannot find rest. Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, he says, Man was not meant to satisfy God's rules of the Sabbath. He says, Sabbath was meant for man as a gift to reorient us to work. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. 
invites us to this kind of rest. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. I think this is one of the places where as we let the gospel sink deep into our hearts and we ask ourselves in community, how is our work? Why do we work? Where is God in our work? This is the first question we have to kind of wrestle with. What does our work and rest ritual look like, rhythm look like? And then another thing that we can help us to, to reorient us in thinking, how do we... How does the gospel change the way that we work is the, the metaphor, the picture that, that Tim Keller gives us that work actually is like cultivating a garden. Most of us, when we work, we feel like we have to get things done. We have to satisfy. We have to sometimes pull things out of the air, right? Not, not even, if, even if you're not a, in a creative kind of thing, you, yeah, it's, it's all on you. It's on your shoulders. You have to perform. You have to execute. But a gardener actually has a different relationship with its work, with their work. Um, gardeners realize the raw materials are all there and they can't do too much about it. Yes, they might be able to fertilize, but you need soil, you need water. And you can, you can order things and you can structure things and you can put all of your energy into it, but really, it's not all on you. It's kind of freeing. In fact, one of the, one of the parables is the gardener goes to sleep and while he's sleeping, the seeds are, are developing. It's kind, of a, it's kind of like, I guess investors know this, you know, you, you put some money in there and, you, and, in the, and then you just leave it for a little while and the next thing you know, it's like, oh, I doubled my money. Okay? You didn't do a lot of work, but somehow it wasn't just you. It's not all on you. Cultivating the sense of garden is actually the original picture of what work was supposed to be. Adam was created and he was told to work in the garden and to tend it. Now, to tend it and protect it. That was his job. To work it and to take care of it. I think there's a, a beautiful description of what the garden is because not only we, is it that we're not all responsible for how everything works, but we also have an important part to play. A gardener gets to plan out what's going to be in his garden. Food, flowers, okay? stuff that we need for our life, but also stuff for beauty. A gardener can strategically plan ahead. You know, my wife, she's, when she gardens, she always uh, reminds me, yeah, at first when you plant the, plant the seeds and the seedlings, you know, it looks like there's a lot of space in between, but you know that as they grow, you have to separate them far enough for, for, for uh, fruitfulness. A gardener has to use all of their ingenuity, their experience, and their wisdom for a beautiful garden and for a fruitful garden. I wonder if you could think about your work in that light that you're working in the garden, that the, the product of your work is not just a, a, something that you can really enjoy doing, that you can pour your energy and your exp experience in, but when it's done, it's going to supply something for somebody else. It's going to bring food. It's going to bring nourishment. It's going to bring healing. It's going to bring nurturing to somebody else. It's going to bring beauty, okay? And that your work, God actually has chosen you for, can actually be part of of his kingdom. Our different works have different ways of doing this, whether you're in a law firm or you're at home and you're taking for, care of a child or children. But these are all aspects of how God is going to bring together a community that is whole and he's going to bring his kingdom. We can talk about this with the people in our circles. I think that's one of the important reasons why we need to be in our grace groups. Um, we've, got a, we've, got, we've got people, like if you, I can tell you this, when I'm around other pastors, 
we've got issues and nuances that it's very hard to work out, but I need the wisdom of another saying, what is God doing in our circles, in our settings? I think it's important for us actually to grow, be able to talk about this and to encourage each other, to reorient ourselves and saying, we've got important things to do and our work matters even to God, especially to God. Mostly because, this is Jesus saying, don't you know, my Father is always at his work this very day, and I am too working. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to think about your work. What goes through your mind on Monday morning, maybe as you used to drag yourself up from bed and start your commute? What anxieties, what fears, what, what anticipations, even joys go through your mind? Do you know that God wants to be right there with you? As you do the problem solving, as you face experiences of just exhaustion, even burnout. You know how easy it is just to forget that you're not going to work for a company or for a boss, or maybe even for yourself or your family, for the expectations of others. You're working for God. He's not just looking down on you from high, ready to punish you, if you don't meet his expectations, instead, he's come down to where you are. He says, I will be your helper. He says, your work is important, but it's not all important. You have value to him, even apart from your work. He's inviting you to rest today. He's inviting you to realize he's God. You're not. He provides the raw materials. He'll provide the designs, the creativity, the energy and the courage. He'll work with you. Because your work matters to him. Maybe one of the things you can think about is how can your work be an expression of your love for him and how can it be an expression of love for others? How can it bring life to other people? As you do that, your, life, your work is going to take so much more meaning. You're going to feel the resources of God and the kingdom come into play. If you shut him out and make your work just about you, burnout is not just possible. Even if you're successful, it's so easy to slip into pride. Take some time and let's, let's come to God and say, God, thank you that I'm working for you. You are such, not just a good boss, such a good helper. I want my work not just to honor you through its excellence. I want, to make it, I, want to ma I want it to matter for you. Listen for him, respond to him. Maybe you're, you're wondering what you're, quote unquote, gonna be when you grow up and you're, you're in between jobs or you're struggling to find the, the place of, 
of where your work is going to matter. He's invi- invite him into that process. Not just for your living, but for your calling. Let's look to him. Let's call out to him. Let's pray.